I know that you're keeping up on the latest news, and mm-hmm. I know that there was some breaking news this week. The new prince was born to Meghan and Harry. I saw that alert like pop up on my computer, which really made me rethink like what notification settings I have checked. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. All right, and welcome to episode number 119 of Touchpoint. That is Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith, and we're back for another week. Hey, Reed, how's it going today? It is great. Because of the shortened week, because of Mother's Day, we're, we're recording two shows, not back-to-back, but a little closer to each other than we normally do. And when this comes out, it'll be after Mother's Day. So happy belated Mother's Day to all those mothers that are listening in. I'm sure that's a huge demographic of ours. <laughs> No, I mean, it probably, it probably is, actually. We probably got a fair amount of people that listen that are mothers. And so I uh, hope everybody had a great weekend. Um, we are going to hop back on the train of artificial intelligence. We have not talked about this in a while. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to dive kind of back into this. Uh, before we do, though, quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Rate, review, subscribe over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen is wonderful. And I'm really excited about this episode. I think this is going to be a lot of fun and I look forward to kind of jumping into, you know, some potential use cases for AI and all kinds of things like that. So more after this quick break. To say the consumer interaction with technology is moving at a rapid pace is an understatement. In a matter of years, we've gone from relying on online search to adopting conversational interfaces like AI-driven smart speakers and chatbots for information. If you are attending HMPSS in Chicago later this month, be sure to check out the session Consumer Experience Starts with a Conversation with Loyal's team to learn more about how Orlando Health embraces shift with adoption of Guide, a conversational platform designed specifically for health systems. Check us out at HMPSS or schedule a demo at loyalhealth.com forward slash demo. That is loyalhealth.com forward slash demo. Well, Reed, we're going to cover kind of a wide variety of different things around AI. And and for those of you who've heard our other episodes on it, this is going to contain some new content. Most particularly, I want you to keep a heads up for the uh, great interview that we're going to have later on in the show with uh, Julia Steed from Invoco. But before we do, it might be good for us to just maybe reorient again to AI. It's not just a buzz term. It's actually something that's really big and impacting the healthcare industry, isn't it? It really is. Uh, we see more and more of it. Of course, we have a wonderful partner of the show, which you've heard from a number of times uh, over at Loyal that is in this space. And we'll continue to see more and more use cases. You see it across the different social platforms, even at this point. You know, chatbots probably being the most common uh, way we think about this, I guess, maybe in our daily lives. I'm not sure if we think about it that actively, but we certainly interact with chatbots probably more than we even realize, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
AI is actually used in many different industries. I found a recent Forbes Insights survey where they actually interviewed about 300 plus executives, where 95% of them believe that AI will play an important role in their responsibilities in the near future. This was in 2019, a study that was done. One of the first things, Reed, that they actually indicated, 40% of them said they believe that AI will help to increase productivity within their organization. I think that makes sense. I mean, that's kind of some of the promise of AI, right? 28% then uh, expect it to help them reduce operating costs. It's kind of related, right? Uh, You're going to not only be more productive, your operating costs are going to go down. I think the assumption here is that uh, artificially intelligent robots will kind of take over some of the the manual tasks that humans are doing right now. 21% of them also indicated that there would be an improved speed to market meaning that they'll get quicker to market and they'll be able to become more responsive to the consumer demands that are out there. Cool. And then finally, uh, just just barely behind that, 20% feel like it's going to help them transform business and operating models. So actually change the model itself of how they do business. So all of these things are like core components of being in business. Yeah. That really equates to a transformative change to a business is going to happen in the future. It really does. And I think something else that's at the beginning of this article, which I found pretty fascinating. And at first you kind of just read past this because I, I feel like the impact of dollars has lessened in my mind over recent years, especially here recently, you keep hearing about the 1.5 trillion in student loan debt. At some point, these, these numbers just, they just don't make sense. They, they're just not impactful. They're not real anymore, right? But it says you know, in this article that you know, about the, the spending around AI is stunning. And all told, it's expected to reach $6.6 billion by 2021. And when I first read that, I thought, yeah, that's, that's a lot of money. And 2021 is, is not far away, you know, so like 18 months from now or so. Yeah. But I think what's even more staggering is, is kind of their next iteration that by 2026, so just so 6.6 billion in 2021, but then just a short five years later, 150 billion. Wow. It's one, it's one of those hockey sticks from an investment standpoint. And that's really what they're talking about from not just an investment standpoint, but they're talking about the 150 billion actually be in annual savings. So you can see kind of what the ROI scenario is there. Now that's in the healthcare sector alone that you're talking about to read, which is really significant. This article, we'll definitely link to it in the show notes so people can see. They actually talk about what they call the iron triangle in healthcare. Um, have you ever heard of that term before? The iron triangle? That's like part of a Rocky movie or something, isn't it? The iron triangle? <laughs> or... <laughs> and the iron triangle in healthcare is actually what they call the three interlocking factors that, that impact how healthcare is delivered. Access, affordability, and effectiveness. This Forbes article indicates that AI applications are really being addressed or being brought up now to solve the challenge that many of us are facing in these three areas. And I think that kind of makes sense. If you think about it, chatbots, which is where the most earliest iterations of AI were seen, you know, those conversational chatbots or customer service chatbots, it's a very nice launch into patient access and call centers because it's kind of a similar yet different, you know, modality within an organization. It really is. And it goes on to talk about that, you know, they feel like this is part of an uh, an Accenture study that they they reference. 
you know, eventually AI could help address more than 20% of unmet clinical demand. You know, again, that's kind of wow. back to this, you know, effectiveness, affordability, access that you're talking about in the aforementioned Iron Triangle. I like Iron Triangle. I feel like that's another T-shirt option. Um, <laughs> you should have, have that printed on a T-shirt. But Before we get into the specific numbers, you know, and there's a lot of cool information stats about the application of AI in healthcare. It might be helpful for us to kind of ratchet back a little bit. If you're considering AI, you really want to build the right business case within your organization. And a lot of times people think about, well, AI is like the panacea, right? It's going to solve everything. And they're just like, we're just going to lay in AI and we'll be done, right? Everything will be there. Well, there's a high-level framework that you should follow when you want to build a business case for AI. You know, whether it's AI or anything else, you know, picking the right problem to solve is a great place to start. Moreover, don't think about it solving like a really big use case. You may want to think about a smaller something that you can actually manage and and maintain and actually control. If you try to solve a bigger case rather than a smaller case, what will happen is is you might get too lost in the complexity of the solution and not really derive all the learnings and the and the information that you can get from a good AI solution. Just a side here, because this, what I'm about to say, really doesn't have anything to do with AI, but the idea of starting small and getting some quick wins, we've heard that a lot through you know, your business life or career or what have you is you know quick wins, low-hanging fruit, start small, you know, however you want to frame that. I always thought of that, that in, in the framework of you know, those were easy wins and it was, you know, it just made sense, right? But I never thought about it much further than that, other than, you know, as, as I've kind of, I guess, reconditioned myself to that idea, it it kind of comes back to this thought of, is it more impactful to, to maybe pick some other things, not even the biggest thing, but other things? Well, maybe. But the idea of starting small, I think, gives you hope. And the winds kind of give, put you on this path that gives you momentum, really. Because it's really not about those small wins. It's about gaining momentum to actually put a thing in place that will sustain over time, I guess. Yeah, and that I, that idea that you just brought up, Reed, really dovetails in the second framework right around building a business case, which is understanding how they describe it as being human about AI. Because really, when you're introducing AI into an environment which tasks are being performed by humans, that's a little bit scary. You want to really describe an environment around decision-making where AI-generated insights augment and hone what the humans that are actually doing these tasks are currently doing. And we talk about that a lot. This is designed to be to make you more efficient, to reduce your workload. It's designed to automate those repetitive tasks that are not so meaningful from a call center, for example, to free you up to actually spend more meaningful time with patients on the phone. This is where they get you. This is where the robots take over and we all, and we all lose our jobs. Yeah, we have to socialize humans to accept that the robots are really our overlords, right? <laughs> That's, right. That's right. But yeah, I mean, you know, you got to understand, you know, what, what the value of this is. And I think over time, it will become more apparent. I think right now we still struggle a little bit with like, you know, well, I think I understand it. You always go back to the conversations I hear at South by Southwest, and it was hilarious two years ago, and I've mentioned this story before, but listening to people talk about blockchain, you know, you just kind of overhear people talking in the hallways or in the the lobby of the hotel or whatever, you know, and they'd be like, you know, I understand 
what blockchain is, but I'm going to this session because I'd like to hear what they think it is. <laughs> so you don't know what it is. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I know, but why don't you tell me just so I know that you know. I still feel like that's where we are with AI a little bit. You know, after the, the idea of being human or thinking like a human about AI is to think transparently. You know, consider systems that have been open data structure and can adapt to AI learnings. Uh, that's kind of how they frame it in, in the article. That makes a lot of sense because uh, many people are thinking, oh, well, we could apply AI into like a closed system like Epic and it can make Epic that much more easier to navigate and to use as a healthcare provider. Unfortunately, that data structure is not set up to support that, at least not right now. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure Epic is looking at AI solutions. But of course, then they'd be proprietary and probably cost five times as much as what the typical AI solution would look like. And that's my dig at Epic this week. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, if you think about like open data structures, if you think about places where you can actually pull in a lot of data and then actually learn a lot from that, it makes it more meaningful for you to, to actually not only teach the AI chatbot, but to also then uh, start to learn yourself about how you can adapt and, and, and respond. That makes sense. Now, the, the last one, you know, the building the business case, I, I think is probably the one that at least I get the most excited about or um, you know, maybe the bigger use case, not really use case, but the way we think about the value of AI. But that's to be data driven in your culture. So use AI to learn about your business and more importantly, not just your business, but your consumer's voice. We talk about how we're becoming more data-driven in healthcare and hospitals, but really AI can bring a whole level of intelligence and interpretation to that data in a way that an organization that's very sophisticated with data and parsing and understanding data will be able to benefit from. But if you're if you're typically an organization where you're not really reporting out on a regular basis about what voice of customer is or what things are happening, this may not be the right solution for you right straight away. Reed, I'd like for us to talk a little bit about various different applications and iterations that a couple of studies have found about AI. But why don't we do that right after this little break? Are you struggling with online reputation management? Binary Health Analytics provides healthcare systems, hospitals, and physician practices a complete view into managing patient feedback from online ratings and reviews and especially surveys. It continuously mines feedback for sediment, uncovering timely and actionable insights. Its management tools help turn these insights into an opportunity to increase patient engagement, manage reputation, and improve patient experience. To learn more about Binary Health Analytics, visit Binary Fountain online at binaryfountain.com. That is binaryfountain.com. For the break, we walked through kind of the business case. Now let's maybe look at of what some of the applications in healthcare benefits, you know, et cetera. There's some, some great charts and stats in this uh, in this article. One of the most promising AI healthcare application that Accenture predicted by 2016 is robot-assisted surgery. Hmm. Robot-assisted surgery. So we already do that, right? That's already a thing. It is. Uh, the Da Vinci or those other robotic surgery yeah. solutions. But in this particular case, it's actually indicating that robotic-assisted surgery with AI built into it. 
what we do right now is the, the intelligence is with the, the physician, but really bringing that into the actual surgical suite. How do you feel about that? I don't know how I feel about that, to be perfectly honest. Like I still kind of want somebody doing it. You know, the, the argument here is going to be reduction in errors because of human, human error. I get that. But remember, I was born in the 70s, so I'm not a millennial. I'm, I'm what am I? Somewhere <laughs> in between the, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to go down a path there, but um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think it's inevitable, obviously, right? I mean, we've seen the success of the Da Vinci robot. Now, but what's funny, though, is you talk to some surgeons who use the Da Vinci and they're like, this is, this is clearly the only way to do it. I can do more cases in a day. There's less fatigue. It's predictable, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But then you talk to other physicians that think that's the worst thing they've ever seen. You know, like it's a terrible idea. I'm wondering if that's generational. I mean, getting back to the fact that you're not really a a millennial, but you're, you're more of a Gen Xer. I wonder if that's a, if that is a generational consideration. Accenture listed out a number of other promising applications. Let me just refer to a couple of these that are clinical. The other clinical ones are virtual nursing assistants. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I I could kind of see that applying, right? Like you're using AI assisting nursing in their care. Another one is uh, dosage error reduction in pharmacy. That makes a lot of sense there, doesn't it? Yeah, there's several on here that I think, if you think about from like an IT or quality control perspective, they're no-brainers. And you mentioned the doses, error, error reduction, uh, fraud detection being one of those, cybersecurity. That all makes total sense to me. Administrative workflow assistance. Like, yeah, these are, yeah, check them off. We should already be doing that. It was taking so long. It makes me a little bit nervous when we get to things like connected machines. At first you think, oh, well, sure, that makes that makes sense. But if you think about the security angle of that, when you have connected or IoT devices all over the hospital, you know, what does that mean? You know, the virtual nursing assistance, that sounds a lot like telemedicine or akin to telemedicine to some degree. Now, within the walls, is that still considered telemedicine? I guess it could be. Anyway, these are interesting, and they've kind of got them ranked by... Uh, value to the organization, I guess. This article, by the way, has a lot of graphs. So for those of you listening in that like to put graphs into your PowerPoint presentations, Mm. definitely link to this. Another graph right underneath of it highlights some of the findings from a McKinsey study that examined the ways that AI might create more value in uh, the business of healthcare. By far, the number one application that McKinsey predicts is uh, within service operations. This seems very broad to some degree, but it is. It's like twice the second place, which is marketing and sales, which, you know, would obviously make sense. You know, service operations and marketing sales, you know, just together are probably twice what all the rest of these opportunities are put together to some degree. But there's some other things on here that I really thought would have been higher, like supply chain. Supply chain management and uh, manufacturing. Also, finance and IT is probably one of the lowest ones. Well, right next to HR. I think HR is at the lowest. But a finance and IT, you would think that you know AI, just by the mere fact that it's like advanced technology, would be applied more frequently and within the IT suite. How's that going to work in HR? Like, do you apply for the job and then it just immediately is like no, <laughs> like it just it just knows automatically like you're a bad fit. Not. Surprisingly, in other organ in other industries, there are companies out there that actually 
use uh, AI for sourcing out and recruiting the right types of talent from vast pools of candidates. Like some of the, the major websites do that. So I think that's the application in HR probably, right? Like you were saying in a nutshell, yeah, it's like assessing if you're the right <laughs> fit or not. But We've had terrible luck with people from your town. Sorry. you know. Uh, this article goes on. It shares another graph that or another series of graphs that are kind of interesting. But I want to skip past that, Reed, because I, I think it's always interesting to to watch where the industry is going or where people feel the industry might be going and where they're seeing a high levels of investment, which can kind of predict where we might see AI applications in the future. Do you want to talk through some of those, what they call the three major zones of investment? Yes, the three major zones of investment. Now, again, this is just AI in healthcare, not, not AI in general. I'm actually going to start at the bottom because I, I think this one obviously makes a ton of sense. But um, and I don't know if these are in any particular order, but uh, diagnostics. Um, so they say developing new products and services that use AI algorithms to prove diagnoses or health advice to patients. I think I think we see that obviously is is a is a level. I'm not going to say holy grail, but you know something that that would make a, a huge impact. And a couple of other uh, podcasts on our network have kind of gone deep into that. I would recommend if you're interested more on this topic, go listen to uh, Datapoint. There was a couple of episodes around AI in this space, as well as the exam room with Dr. Brian Vardavidian, where he talked about this as well in an uh, AI in a diagnostic setting. The second one, uh, since you went from the bottom up, I'll go with the second from the bottom, which is engagement, improving how patients and consumers interact with healthcare providers, systems, and services. Now, to me, that sounds like where marketing is, is in. Using like conversational chatbots on your website, maybe even using AI in your marketing automation and in the journeys that you're building through your CRM to engage with customers and patients a little bit better. That is where marketing communications falls. Patient experience, you know, would, would fall into there. Even quality, you know, probably falls in there. Uh, IT could to some degree. I mean, there's obviously a, a fairly large overlap. And then finally, uh, digitization, which is using AI and other digital tools to make operational processes less expensive. Is that less paper? So what that is? Less PDF documents? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Less PDF documents, being able to scan those and, and maybe pull those uh, forward in a much quicker way using machine learning, et cetera. I think that, that that's a really good application. So those are the three, what, what uh, this, uh, one of the authors of this, uh, it's not just one article, Read by the way. We keep mentioning this one article. It's actually a whole issue of articles that Forbes put together around AI and healthcare. And so we're going to link to the entire thing. We're kind of summarizing. I think there's a collection of about 30 different articles in this. So we're kind of summarizing a lot of this. But these three major zones of investment, digitization, engagement, diagnostics, and it makes me wonder if the relationship between the three zones of investment and that iron triangle. Maybe there is a relationship here. Um, I'd have to think about that for a minute. Four, let's see, there's three sides to a triangle, and then there's four. Anyway. <laughs> uh, those zones of investment, the iron triangle, <laughs> it all comes full circle, right? Well, full triangle, maybe. Yes. The, this whole entire issue kind of concludes with the fact that despite you know these, these promises of where AI is, 
there are still some inherent challenges with the application of AI. And not surprisingly, two out of the three are related to people and people's impressions or concerns about AI. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, uh, healthcare providers need to trust algorithms to use them. And I think you know that that's that's hard. Maybe some of it is generational or the way you learn to do things. You know, it's the way you like to do things. You know, it often means that you know they want to see clinical validation of it. We'll continue to you know be skeptical around this, like I was earlier with the robotic uh, surgery versus uh, AI surgery versus you know with your own hands surgery. I guess in most cases is an evidence based medicine type world that we still live in. So there's going to have to be, you know, some outcomes before people are willing to kind of go down that path. And it's not just healthcare providers. One of the other challenges with the AI is that there's a reluctance on the patient side too. A censure that study that we were referring to before around one fourth of the consumers that they were surveyed said that they would not use AI powered health services not understanding enough about how the technology works, they would more likely than not trust a human than they would a computer to find the answer. Do you think that's reflective of like, you know, I mean, is that just any new technology that people are just kind of skeptical about it until suddenly it's an integral part of their lives? I think we're all skeptical about smartphones that did everything but make a phone call until now everybody has an iPhone or whatever, right? Yeah, I mean, we already see this around self-driving cars, right? So you get the autopilot, if you will, uh, on like Teslas and things like that. And so until that's commonplace, you're not going to get wide adoption on that. And people are going to be skeptical and, and not, you know, want that in their lives or other people to do it for that matter. Scalability is also likely to be an issue around adoption, They talk about pilot programs tested with limited scope uh, may not be readily adaptable to large scale institutions. So that's that's always a problem. Like you do something over in this controlled environment. Well, what's going to happen when that gets pushed out to the world? Can it scale or not? You know, you always get the restaurant in town that you love to go to and it gets super popular. So they decide to move to a new location and then everything just goes to crap. Mm -hmm. That's almost the same scenario. It's like it worked really well just over in this particular controlled environment. But then, you know, you doubled the size of your place and you hired more people and it was harder to control. And, you you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing. And not to mention the fact that a lot of AI solutions are a little bit costly, too. So both of those factors together can play into the fact that, you know, AI is not going to be widely adopted. There's some challenges around it. There's another challenge to read that I think we should go deeper into. But in fact, why not we just toss this now over to our expert that we're going to interview, Julia Steed, and she's going to talk more about the challenge about introducing empathy or a human touch into an AI-related environment. So why don't we hear what she has to say after this break. At HealthGrades, Better Health gets a head start. They help millions of consumers each month to find and schedule appointments with their provider of choice. With their scheduling solutions and advanced analytics applications, they partner with more than 500 hospitals across the country to cultivate new patient relationships improve patient access, and build customer loyalty. To learn more, visit them online at healthgrades.com. That is healthgrades.com. 
All right. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of our podcast. And today I am talking with someone that I really, I actually, Julia, you and I have not met in person, but I've read an article which you were featured in and it just inspired me to reach out to you and we made a connection and now here we are now talking about it. So Julia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, as you mentioned, we haven't met in person, but I was so pleased that you reached out and I'm excited to talk about this uh, concept of AI and consumer expectations specifically in the world of healthcare, because it seems like it's a topic that you and I are both very interested and passionate about. Absolutely. And I, I know AI is like sort of the buzz term. Uh, everybody's talking about it, but um, I'm really interested to dig into this. But before we do, it, I thought it might be good for us to maybe learn a little bit more about you, your background. A lot of our listeners may not know who you are. Can you share a little background about yourself? So I'm the Vice President of Marketing at Invoca, and Invoca is a AI-powered call tracking and analytics platform specifically built for marketers to better understand what's driving the calls to their business, what's happening on the call, and then use that really insightful, rich data to better craft personalized customer journeys and do a better job of optimizing their their marketing campaigns. Um, So that's the, the company I work for. Myself, I've been in digital marketing in some form or another for about 15 years and really have kind of grown up, I'd say, in my career through an interesting time where uh, I launched my career before social media was really uh, a thing and before digital advertising was what it is today. And so I've, it's a topic that I follow passionately and have been really excited to kind of grow and see all the different ways of technology and AI specifically is, is an area of interest for me both through what we do at Invoca, um, but also just the impact it's had on marketing so dramatically over the past few years. I think AI has become sort of that buzz term, right? Or a lot of people are talking about AI and the promise of AI. But um, myself, as I start to go down thinking about the applications of AI within our hospitals and within within the health system I work at, it leaves a lot of questions. How would you characterize the use of AI in healthcare today and some of the things that you're, you're noticing? Well, I think there's been a lot of pressure and a lot of buzz and a lot of hype, like you said, around AI and the need for businesses to have some kind of all-encompassing AI strategy that they've already implemented and having AI at the the core of everything that they do. Uh, And I personally don't believe in companies using AI for the sake of using AI. I think companies and specifically marketers should really focus on a problem that they think AI specifically can help them solve. And kind of take that approach rather than thinking, oh, everybody's using AI. AI is sort of the next big thing. I need an AI strategy. And when I look specifically uh, at, at healthcare and patient needs, I think there's been this, this trend and pressure to really automate the customer experience using AI to communicate with customers one-on-one, but at scale in this automated fashion. And I really feel that this goes against, in many cases, what consumers want in such a personal, highly individual and stressful type of industry as healthcare, right? You don't want to be talking to a a robot when you're trying to get a diagnosis for something or seek care for a problem that you're worried about. And so I think it it kind of creates this interesting conundrum, uh, specifically in the healthcare space. Uh, many of our patients or potential patients might be horrified to actually think that they might be talking to a robot in the path to care. I think it's fascinating whenever we start to talk about technology, it's always important to talk about people and how they intersect with technology. You have done some research or there's been some research done around how people view potentially uh, chatbots. Can we talk a little bit about that? 
Yes, absolutely. So we partnered, well, first of all, we did we did a pretty in-depth uh, amount of proprietary research on our own, speaking with consumers in what we think of as, as high-considered purchase industries. So healthcare, financial services, banking, industries where you really need to interact with someone, a, a human one-on-one to have your questions answered and, and get through that customer journey. And then from there, we also partnered with Adobe to kind of layer on additional research about how consumers really want to interact with brands and and what they expect from brand EQ um, during the purchase process. And some interesting things that we found that may not be surprising, but when you actually hear the the stats, it's sort of like, wow, that's more prevalent than I thought, is that certain characteristics are extremely important for consumers to have when they're interacting with a brand in the healthcare space. 90% of consumers said that problem solving and support and efficiency were very important or critical characteristics for the brands to have when interacting with them. And those are characteristics that a robot and AI can't necessarily uh, emulate. Other characteristics that were also very high in the high 80s were things like even temper, adaptability, empathy. So the fact that these are so important for consumers, but are characteristics that non-humans, I guess robots is what we'll call them, just can't really replicate and certainly not replicate well at this stage, really highlighted that gap between what consumers want and what AI is able to deliver. Some of the sort of the questions that we we asked consumers were things like, do humans or robots, are they both able to offer sort of that emotional intelligence? Uh, and across the board, very clearly, the stats showed that human reps in person and human reps over the phone are the, the individuals that can actually offer EQ and chatbots and voice assistants. Really, only about 20% of respondents felt that they could offer any kind of emotional intelligence and personalized interaction. So 20% is, is pretty dismal. I agree with you 100%. And I think that that's probably why that today, close to 80 to 90% of people that are in our health system that are making appointments prefer to talk to people on the phone because of that that empathy factor, but also because we don't have the back-end systems in place to really make it an easy experience online. Although I do talk to a lot of younger generation people that are either working here or you know potential patients of ours, and many of them say they'd rather not talk to someone they prefer to do it online if they were able to do that. Did your data see that as well? Is there a generational gap? We did see that. It was not quite as drastic as I as I thought it would be. But when looking at respondents under 35 and then in older brackets, such as 55 and older, there was a fairly big discrepancy. So for example, uh, when we asked them if they found AI-powered experiences less frustrating than human interactions and more kind of seamless and just a faster way to get their answers, respondents under 35 said yes at a, at a much higher rate. And respondents over 55 Um, 62% said, no, um, I much prefer uh, and I'm less frustrated when I'm interacting with a human, whereas only 43% of respondents under the age of 35 said that they were more frustrated and preferred to to not interact with humans. Sounds funny saying that, but yeah. (laughs) It's not really the desire to avoid humans. Well, maybe it is. It's uh, it's really because they want to be more efficient. I could, see, I mean, I certainly could see the use case of that, right? You're at work. You don't want to really talk out loud on the phone to schedule an appointment. There may be some. You'd rather do it via text message or something on your computer where you could where you don't really have to talk to people. Do you think that it's just the mere fact that chatbots and AI have? lack of that emotional intelligence or that empathy, is that really the reason why we we saw such a skewing in the data or is there other reasons behind that? 
I, I think there are two main reasons. One, I think, is that, and that was what was interesting about the research, is how important empathy and other similar characteristics that tie into emotional intelligence, how important all those characteristics really are for the buying process or for the, the consumer experience. I don't think it's something that businesses and, and marketers have really thought a lot about. It's sort of in the back of your mind, sure, you want to deliver a nice, personal, empathetic experience, but um, the hard data shows it's not just a nice to have, it's a must have. The other factor I, that you touched upon, I really think is the efficiency. I think even about my own experiences, right? And whatever's going to get the job done the fastest, whether it's, and, and get me the fastest, most accurate response or end outcome, whether it's a text message or a chat or a live conversation or talking to someone in person. But certainly I think that in many people when they're interacting with our health system or any health system for that matter, they're, they're probably assuming that even on the other side of that chat or that a text message or what have you, that there's actually some kind of human being or a human oversight. Is that fair to say? I think that's, that's definitely fair to say. And that ties into some of the, the questions that we'd asked around um, the role of an actual live person and how informed they can be versus um, some of the other channels that you, that you mentioned. And something that I think is important for this just to kind of think about is not just who's delivering the message, but the context of the message that's being delivered as well. An automated chatbot may be able to answer yes or no questions, but if they don't have sort of that rich profile data of the consumer, the patient, if you will, and why they're asking these questions, sometimes the answers can, if, if you're lacking context, can either lack emotional empathy or lack the bigger picture and be providing answers or suggestions or recommendations that are really either just touching the tip of the iceberg or not accurately addressing all the needs of the patient. And in that case, that, it can all, that can happen even over the phone. If, if you're a patient calling in and speaking to someone over the phone and the person on the phone um, is speaking to you the first time and has no context of why you're calling and have to go through asking you all these different questions versus if you're calling in and the person on the other end of the phone knows why you're calling in, knows what page of the website you were researching and, and what page you were calling from, maybe has a record of previous calls that you've made or other interactions you've already had with this healthcare provider. It, it enables the, the person having the conversation, whether it's someone on the phone, in person, a chatbot, um, and the chatbot piece is hard, but to provide a much richer, more personalized and effective experience. In many cases, there is also that gap with the human people behind, uh, you know, behind the call centers. What's crazy is I sometimes see these people like navigating multiple different screens and jumping all over the place, like really trying to find the right data to get that the answers to those questions of the people on the phone. I can certainly see that maybe uh, the ap application of AI in in the context of maybe helping make that call center agent a little bit more efficient could be a good use case for artificial intelligence. Like that's where this kind of comes full circle a little bit in, in how AI can be used effectively. If I look at examples of healthcare customers of Invoca, that's, that's basically the main use case is um, being able to mine all of the phone calls automatically through an AI system to understand what was the outcome of previous conversations. Um, was an appointment booked? Why was this person calling? What drove them to call? and then push that information in real time to an agent so that they have all of that context without a human having to have actually logged each call and said, oh, you know, this was the outcome of this conversation, an appointment was had, or this thing happened, this is the campaign they called from, all of those different data points. That's where AI can really come in and eliminate a lot of the 
I don't want to say busy work, but but tedious labor that is involved to be able to glean that kind of data on a one-to-one basis. Um, interestingly, when so one of our customers, University Hospitals, when they started implementing a solution, uh, well, our solution, they were able to save 40 employee employee hours per week, which meant just cutting down employees having to manually listen to call recordings and say, okay, this is what happened on this call. That's I think that's a perfect use case where AI is leveraging data points and making the data more accessible in real time to humans to then act on that data and use it for empathetic, personalized interactions. Yeah, it really frees up their time to be more empathetic. And rather than juggling through all these spreadsheets and OneNotes and all these other things, Excel spreadsheets that they may have, you know, before, now they can actually spend more time engaging with that person on the other side of the phone. But Julie, are you saying that then the role of chatbots and AI earlier on in that patient journey, is that a, is that a non-starter now? Are you, or, or is there an application there as well? I think it depends on the what the patient's looking for. So if they're looking for simple questions like, what are the hours of my doctor's office? Or I just want to book an initial consultation appointment. It's for a very simple, uncomplicated matter. I don't need to talk to a human to to just get my you know initial appointment booked. I think that kind of stuff, it doesn't necessarily need that personal touch, right? If, if a chatbot can set you up with your first consultation appointment, Friday at four o'clock fits your schedule. Great. You know, I, I think that's a, that's a, a simple, great use case where those types of automated technologies can still be very effective in the healthcare space. I was thinking about that ourselves here, right? We're, we're going down that path in, in looking at implementing a chatbot as sort of like a concierge experience on your website. Because let's face it, you know, most hospital websites are clunky and they're hard to find information. I, I could see that the application of a chatbot as a way to uh, maybe help guide people in a, in a, in a more uh, illustrative way through the, through the site, that might be a really good use case what comes to mind for me, though, is always giving people the choice because someone in their early 20s might love that. Someone in their late 60s who's still not super comfortable with technology, although it may seem simple, they might get flustered or, or might just want to speak to someone right away and not have to navigate. So I always say um, put the customer's needs first and give them options. You don't ever want to force them down only the phone call or only only the chat, chat bot or only email. You want to give them options so that they can pick which communication channel is best for them. You know, I think that's true for virtually any kind of digital experience that you offer them, because at a certain point in time, you may think that you understand the user flow. And I, you know, I do more than just chatbots, right? I websites and I think about user journeys online all the time. And there's a certain point in time where we may think that we're, you know, helping patients along the way, but they need what I call a pressure release valve that they're going to bail out, right? At any certain point in time. And we see this play out a lot with online appointment scheduling. Some as simple as like scheduling a doctor's appointment, even though you, you may implement a very elegant, usable, intelligent uh, online appointment scheduling tool, still 66% of them abandoning that online shopping experience to call someone. Having that human interaction there to support any kind of digital experience is really important. I completely, completely agree. And we've seen some really interesting examples from our customers when it comes to appointments being scheduled as well. And um, by leveraging a tool where you're able to measure both the the outcomes of what's happening online through digital appointment setting and over the phone, 
um, you can really see which channels work for which types of appointment setting, for example, and why people are dropping off at certain at certain uh, stages in their in their journey. Again, to bring up a, a customer that we've been working with, they used us to measure how many appointments were being scheduled over the phone. And something that was really interesting, and, and this is AI powered, so that someone again didn't have to actually listen to the call recordings or rely on on things like, oh, well, the call lasted two minutes, an appointment must have been scheduled. Um, and what they found was that a huge percentage of the calls that were coming in were actually going to voicemail at different doctors' offices, and they didn't realize that. And so they'd been spending all this money optimizing their website and driving people to call into their business, and then nobody was actually answering on the other on the other end during certain business hours or whatnot. So that was a huge waste in in marketing dollars and a very poor customer experience. So that was one thing they were able to identify. They were also able to identify that people calling from different locations obviously wanted to be directly routed through to more local services. And so being able to set that up at scale. And as a result, they saw a 580% increase in appointments being scheduled by being able to optimize, well, if people are, are calling for this type of inquiry or these search terms, let's route them through to this recipient. Or if they're calling from this region, let's make sure they're being routed through to the right person. Or Hey, if nobody's answering the phone on the other end, let's let's call that office location and make sure. Hey, should we still be routing calls to you during these hours? Um, what's happening with your staff? You know, p- putting some some more quality control in, and and the end result is first and foremost a better customer experience, a better patient experience, but then also huge gains for the business. And while I'm passionate about putting the patient needs first, it's also you know these are businesses, and we also still want to make sure that you're not leaving money on the table, basically, or that you're not wasting money um, driving people to a bad experience. I mean, that's the role, I think, of technology. You know, technology can really aid us if we understand that intersection between how we as humans, either employees or patients are using it, and also, you know, how it can actually support our business efficiency on the back end. You know, I hear a lot of, of health systems are starting to go down this path of really considering AI solutions as part of their overall, you know, online journeys, et cetera. Do you have any suggestions, tips, maybe even ideas that you can provide to them to help them really understand the right application as opposed to maybe going down the wrong path and applying it in the wrong way? Yes, definitely. And, and I'm coming at this from a, a marketing mindset. And so thinking about what are the, the different use cases to more effectively market to your patients and deliver uh, the best possible experience for them. First and foremost, you want to focus on using AI to serve your customers better, not yourself. That, that should definitely be your first goal. So how can you leverage AI intelligently and, and parse all the different data points that you have at your disposal and leverage that data to deliver a more personalized, faster, better service to your patients. And then I think the secondary goal, which is almost as important, is how can you use AI applications for business efficiency? And the two should really complement each other. If you're delivering a better, more personalized customer patient experience, you should see business efficiency gains as well. When I I think about um, specific examples, both in the healthcare industry and with companies that we've worked with, really leveraging data around the outcomes of previous calls and conversations and digital touch points that you've had with patients or prospective patients and using that information to then offer them the best follow-up service in real time, whether it's reminders about scheduling a follow-up appointment or passing that information on to an agent so that they can have a more empathetic conversation when someone does call in um, a first or a second or a third time. I think that's that's kind of one great, easy, kind of low-hanging fruit use case. 
I think on the the business side of things, campaigns, marketing campaigns are really becoming more automated and probabilistic and, and less based on broad rules. And I think, or I see, I don't think I see this, marketers are really evolving from regular broad segmentation. Like I'm going to come up with a messaging and advertising for patients who are female and live in the Midwest. That's a pretty broad bucket and not very personalized to more granular and specific personalization through segmentation, looking at segments more like patients who are female in their 40s who exercise regularly and get annual wellness checkups. And so in that case, you could retarget someone like the above with ads more about preventative care for healthy, active adults rather than just sort of a blanket message. And so that's sort of ways that you can put the customer experience first, but then see business optimizations by focusing your campaigns um, in ways that'll make them more likely to convert. When when we're thinking about best practices, uh, a big I don't know if challenge is the right word, but consideration that everybody has to think about is HIPAA compliance, right? I I know it's top of mind for everyone and, and trust is everything, especially nowadays with consumers. And so making sure that you are doing absolutely everything to respect all the privacy laws to the utmost degree and really pushing any AI vendor that you work with to make sure they are completely HIPAA compliant. And there's, there's no gray area. You just I don't want to say, I mean, there's business risk, but there's also, you just, you want to be ethical and you want your patients and anyone that interacts with you to trust you because you're doing things the right way. Do you think as you look forward, Julia, and, and, and look at this industry, do you think that, you know, there's going to be a, a much more broader role of AI within the overall marketing aspects of, of what we do in health hospitals and health systems? I do. I think as is often the case with big trendy new topics uh, in marketing is that there's this lag period between when everybody thinks something is prevalent and everyone's using it. And then when people actually have the systems in place and everything's running smoothly, like a well-oiled machine. And I, I really think that's where we're at, especially in the healthcare industry. There are a lot of legacy technologies and processes and it's pretty common that, for example, marketing call center teams don't have any interaction and are working in silos and data isn't being shared. And AI applications are springing up to help create new ways to synthesize this data and make it usable. But I think there's still a lot of work to be done to kind of break down those different operational silos so that the data is flowing more freely across all the different aspects of the business and the customer and the patient journey. There's work on the AI front for systems to interact more smoothly with each other and create more of this AI-powered end-to-end patient experience. Whereas right now, I think there are a lot of really interesting and great point solutions but that are just starting to kind of stitch together the bigger picture. So I think there's a lot of exciting room for growth ahead in the world of AI and that maybe five years from now, it'll it'll feel ubiquitous the way things like automated advertising bid management platforms feel today. Julia, this conversation has been really interesting, and I'm sure we could talk forever about this. And we'll probably have to have you on for another follow-up interview at a future future date. For people listening in that want to learn a little bit more about you and your, your organization, what's the best way for them to reach you online? The first spot I would say is visit invoca.com and check out our blog. We have a lot of great resources, a lot of use cases, specifically in the healthcare industry around how companies have been leveraging 
AI and our call tracking analytics platform to deliver a better consumer patient experience and also better marketing results. You can download our, our brand EQ report. That's the research report I mentioned at the beginning that we did with Adobe and also our call tracking study guide, which just gives some great, easy, applicable um, tips and tricks on how to get started leveraging an AI platform for call analytics. Well, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. And, and if you don't mind, I'll also link people over to your LinkedIn profile so they can fi- find you. Definitely. And I encourage people to reach out. I, I love chatting with people one-on-one and hearing you know what their challenges are, hearing what they're doing from a marketing perspective, and then sharing stories of, of what our customers are doing successfully as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this interview. I really appreciate your time and your ideas. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. It was great chatting with you. Hi. This is Bobby Ratu, Storyteller. I would like to invite you to check out my show called Intersection Podcast, a collection of stories involving healthcare, public policy, and social issues. Intersection is an opportunity to recontextualize stories into a broader viewpoint, breaking away from a short tweet, social media video, a status update, and diving further into longer-form conversations surrounding great storytelling. Search for Intersection Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or go to intersectionpodcast.com to subscribe. I hope you'll join us. All right, Reed, that was a really cool interview with Julia. She's really smart, and I really appreciate her insights. She's published a number of papers on and blog posts on her website. We'll link to that in the show notes. Definitely go out there and check out and learn a little bit more about her ongoing thoughts around AI and, and actually the application of all technologies within this space. Awesome. It's always good to have uh, smart folks on the show. So that's a quick plug also for if you know a smart folk, that should be on the show, let us know that. Regardless of topic, we still have, it's funny, it kind of ebb and flows a little bit. We still have four or five interviews that we'll be rolling out over the next few weeks. So we're starting to look for uh, ways to kind of uh, refill the hopper. So, Well, you know, one of the ways that we can refill the hopper is actually attending conferences and meeting up with those smart people. Within about a week from when you hear this podcast, in Chicago, May 21st to the 23rd, I will be attending the 24th Annual Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit. Not only am I speaking there, we're going to have the Touchpoint show there. We're going to do a panel session. We're going to meet up with a lot of smart people. And you better believe that we're going to come back with some really interesting stories and learnings that we're going to share with everybody listening in on the show. Very nice. And then read, because I love Chicago so much, July 30th through August 1st, I will also be speaking at another conference in Chicago, the Strategic Marketing for Healthcare Conference, that's in partnership with our good friend Rob Rosenberg over at Springboard. Oh, nice. I'm going to talk a little bit about digital, of course, in healthcare, but there's a lot of other people, uh, a lot of other health systems that are going to be there, Children's Mercy, Northwestern. Loma Linda University Health. There's going to be a lot, a number of people there that are going to be speaking as well. Definitely check that out. We'll put a link in the show notes for that. It's another great conference. Very cool. That, that takes us to the summer. We've got a couple in the fall, and I'll go ahead and just mention these real quick. More to come. Obviously, these are several months away, but just made Connections 2019. 
uh, which is September 8 through 11 in Nashville, Tennessee. It's going to be a great one, and we will have a presence there as well, followed by the uh, annual conference uh, up in Rochester at the Mayo Clinic Social Media Network annual conference, October 22nd, 23rd uh, in Rochester, Minnesota. We'll both be there for that. And then finally, rounding out the fall slash winter schedule is, uh, or at least, I guess, 2019 schedule, will be the uh, Healthcare Internet Conference down in Orlando, Florida, November 4th through 6th. You don't have to write all that down. All you have to do, however, is subscribe to our weekly newsletter uh, that comes out each Monday, the TPS report. And we have all these conferences documented in there as well. So you can go over to touchpoint.health. Sign up for the TPS report and you'll get some great curated, aggregated news from around the industry as well as um, information about these conferences. It's going to be a jam-packed year ahead of us. That is right. All right. Well, before we uh, call it a day, uh, what uh, recommendation do you have? Well, Reed, I'm going to make a recommendation for an app that I use quite frequently. Do you ever like, you know, when you're out with friends or whatever and Maybe someone picks up the tab and you always say, hey, look, I'll get you next time. Or you you owe your office mate or someone a couple of dollars and you don't have those dollars in your pocket. Well, I'm going to recommend an app that I kind of use regularly. A lot of people that have iPhones, they kind of maybe Apple Pay one another. They kind of send money to one another Mm -hmm. through Apple Pay, which is a good service. The one I'm going to recommend is actually device independent. It's not limited to the Apple ecosystem. It's called the Cash App. Oh. Have you ever used the Cash App? No. It's really simple. It's an app. You you download it. You hook it up purely to your to your bank, right? It's a tie okay. into your bank. Okay. And then you could just send money through the Cash App to your friend or what have you. And my wife and I, we have a trainer that comes and uh, works out with us uh, once a week. And whenever we pay him, we just send him money through the Cash App. It's really easy. We're walking out of the gym, and I'm just like in my phone punching it in. All I have to do is find him via his email that he registered with, and it automatically transfers money from my bank to his bank. It's just one of the easiest things to use. Nice. That's my recommendation, the Cash App. Handy. Very, very handy. I am also going to recommend an app, and it's the Chick-fil-A app. We have kids. We eat at Chick-fil-A a fair amount. I'll tell you, though, it's one of the best designed apps I've seen. Uh, because it just steps you through the ordering process. It has a very defined use case, right? It's to order food off of their menu. Mm-hmm. I mean, I assume you could learn about Chick-fil-A on there. I, honestly, I don't even know. And there's some points and, and things like that that you can cash in for some free food uh, as you use it and things like that. But you you hook up your debit card or, or what have you to it. Um, and so you pay through it and, and everything. But it starts out and it says, you know, find a restaurant. You click on that and it pulls up the closest one to you. You click on the restaurant that you want to use. Uh, you pick items off the menu and it just, it steps, it's such a clean app. It just steps you through the process, even condiments and all, and all kinds of stuff. And then the coolest part is, is they've done a really great job of allowing you a couple of different ways to then get your food. You can get it inside of the restaurant, like you can come in and get it, go through the drive through, which I'm not sure why you would do that go through the drive-through after you've, but anyway, but then they have designated parking spots. And so it's called curbside. And so you just click that, you just wheel up to the restaurant and they just bring it out to you. It's great. Wow. Wow. Now I assume that it has the ability to pay through it, right? Yep. You, you pay and everything. So when they bring it out the car, I mean, you're done. Like you, you've already paid for it and the whole deal. Yep. You just drive off. It's great. 
because for a second there, I was thinking of the, the Uber app, of the Chick-fil-A app with the Cash app, but I guess it's, it's all taken care of. I don't go to Chick-fil-A that often. There's not one in my neighborhood, but uh, when I do, I will uh, try out that app next time. That sounds really cool. Yeah, it's it's really well done. So anybody that's a fan of design and, and apps and things like that, I feel like it's it's a great, great usable app. All right. Uh, another great week, another great episode. Uh, AI is always a fun topic to talk about. So we'd love to hear from you, those of you out there in the space that are experts. Tell us uh, tell us what else we need to know. And then uh, also what other what other topics? We mentioned this earlier, but if you got something to talk about, uh, let us hear from you. We'd love to, uh, love to know that. Appreciate all the support online, Twitter, LinkedIn, all that kind of good stuff. So uh, until next week, for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith. And uh, we'll see you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.